Thanks for listening to the River City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church community and how you can be a part, visit us online at therivercitychurch.org. Hey, here we are in week five of our Arrows series. I'm just talking to someone, and man, it has been helpful, it has been convicting, it has been challenging, and really our heart and our hope is that it, it, it speaks to people of all different areas, stages of life, and um, so it's been really fun. So we started it off, just real quick review for those that have been missing or just kind of like remember, because there's been so much going on in five weeks. We started with, remember, we're making an acronym for Arrow. We're we're almost there, and so I put honor in there, and so that's supposed to be an O. So honoring others, others we honor. That's what that is. So all right. So uh, but we started with aim. We're going to aim. There's many different targets to aim at. There's many different distractions. There's sports, academics, social interaction that we're raising our kids and those that we have influence in, and those are all awesome, great things. But the one target above every other target, the most important target that we need to be aiming our kids towards, those that we have influence with, those in around us is towards the main target, and that is eternity, and that is Jesus, and knowing Jesus, and walking with Jesus, and trusting Jesus all the days of their lives. And we talked about release. There comes this day that we're going to have to release those that we have influence over, those that are being raised up in our families, to release them to go towards that target in a world where there's danger and temptation. We need to give opportunities for those under our influence to, to step out even while still under our house and under our care. Then my sister-in-law shared about relax. Sometimes we just need to relax in this thing of parenting and we need to relax in understanding how great God's love for us and relax as we think about eternity and how incredible that is going to be. Last week we talked about not just talked about and shared about, we, we talked about honor, honoring others, and we also displayed it. And it was just a beautiful time of the honor battle that was going on up here. If you missed it, it's online. It's so much fun. And so much fun just to, to be part of that, of, of honoring Dan and Abigail as they go to plant their new church. So today we're kind of changing gears and talking a bit more about, okay, this protection, this guarding. And so what, what are we allowing to come in Who's allowed to come in? What are, we, what are we allowing in our house? What are we allowing in our own hearts? Who's coming? Who's going? And so I want to read, the, read this passage that we've been reading each week, Psalms 127, with that in mind and see if you pick some of this up. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So there's this guarding, there's this watching. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows, there's our theme from this, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, your children are, hand, are in your hands, in the hands of a warrior, and you are a warrior by God's authority, by God's commissioning on your life. You are a warrior. Your arrows are like hands in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose house is full of loud noise, lots of activity, and lots of things, whose quiver is full, right? It says, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. In the court. So we see these things of like, there's this, there's this guarding, there's this watching, there's these opponents, there's these people that are, are, are against you. And, uh, you know, so this is this, this, this battle, going on for the, for the hearts of your kids and for the hearts of your, set, your own heart. And then for those that you have influence in as an aunt, uncle, teacher, 
one that volunteers here and works with kids, there, there's a battle going on. And so today for W, it is war. War. You and I are in a war for our very hearts, for our very souls, and also in war for those that we are leading and guiding. The truth is that we are living in a new day. Many, uh, many people would say that we are raising kids in what, again, many say is that is the most difficult time in modern history to raise children because of all the things around it and all the threats and all the temptation and all the distractions that are in our lives. And in some ways, and that that sounds overwhelming, but in some ways I just want to point this out, that you are charting new territory that generations before us didn't even have. I just want to point out a few uh, to kind of help you understand this. First one is that the terror in our world has stepped up a notch in the United States. You know, when I was growing up, the one thing that you were probably taught and I was taught was don't talk to strangers, right? That was the main thing. Don't talk to strangers and be careful with strangers. Well, today we live in a world where kids are, they've been more exposed and they've heard about bomb threats and school shootings and violence in pretty major ways by by what they, they see on the news and what they hear in the media, what they hear you guys talking around the table. I mean, their own schools have drills for an active shooter in their school. And so our, our young kids are exposed to a terror and a potential terror that, for me, growing up, I didn't have that, that worry and that concern. I listened to a, a preacher this week, a friend of mine uh, preaching at a pastor's conference, and his 10-year-old son said his biggest fear, he had all these things of what he was excited for, and his biggest fear was that 9-11 would happen again. Now here's a boy that like wasn't even alive when 9-11 happened, but yet he's fearful of it. So we, we live in a new time uh, of terror, and we're told by professionals that when we as parents don't talk about it, don't address it, it makes kids more fearful, and they feel like they're unable to share that. So we need to engage in these conversations in the world that we are living in. Second thing that we are, another thing that we're seeing in our generation of raising kids is the overscheduled youth. Because we want the, 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 the child themselves has this, this pressure to keep up with, to impress, to not be left out. You know that FOMA, that fear of being left out. This, the, and, and so they overextend themselves socially, academically, and in the sports arena. And, and sometimes by their own choice, and sometimes parents by our choice. Expectations of parents and children are excessive nowadays in suburban cultures. And we are called to steward our time and steward our children's time while they are under our household well. Kids today face greater demands on time than we did growing up. And the many opportunities, the many great opportunities, but we need to choose which ones are great opportunities and which ones are distractions because the truth is every single one of us needs some downtime. You know, how many of you as adults hate an overscheduled life? And then we put that on children sometimes and it's overextending them and there's loss of creativity. They get bored quickly with their home for five minutes because they haven't had that white space to just kind of process and be creative. The other thing that parents are tempted with in suburban cultures, I think, is this attempt at perfection. How many of you, your childhood was perfect? Nobody. Oh, close to it, close to it. We got one close to it. And a lot of times, perfection doesn't exist this time, this side of eternity. 
We're heading towards perfection when Jesus comes and he rules and he reigns. But when we try to control every single aspect of our kids' life to protect them, care for them, make sure every experience they have is perfect, we are doing a disservice to them for that relief of setting them out. We are not setting them up well to do what God called them to. How many of us learned from our mistakes growing up, right? And you had that freedom of that self-initiative to do some things, to, to make some mistakes and learn from them. This is that thing of, of guarding and protecting them while they're under our care. And again, just the, the, the frantic pace that they can run at of, well, listen, the cost of living is higher. A lot of us are, uh, both parents are having to work outside the home and then it's, or the parents are split up and they're between two different places and running from activity and that, that just connection time is limited more than ever. Another one is that this generation below has grown up with is technology. Technology, and it's amazing in many ways and it brings the world to us through online and, and things we can learn. I can't even do my son's homework with them without the internet nowadays, right? How many of you guys are there with me, right? You got to look things up. I don't remember how to do that. Let's Google that. Um, so the, uh, but the truth is access to a computer, to a smartphone, to a tablet without supervision, without accountability for your child, without oversight, without instructing them and teaching them is the same as a dirty, greasy stranger knocking on your door at nighttime. You invite them in and you say, oh, you have no place to stay? Hey, why don't you go stay in my kid's bedroom? You would never do that. You would never invite a stranger to come into your household and do that. But yet with technology, we just give without any parameters and it opens them up to the world. So I mean, statistics have shown and studies have shown by the National Care and Missing Exploited Children, which is done through the Department of Justice Office for Juvenile Justice, is that, what is the number? They, they, re, they researched 1,501 kids ages 10 to 17, and they found out that 70% of them had inappropriate solicitation through online in their own home, and only 25% of them reported it to their parents or guardians. So it's a real thing that's going on. That kids are being, that, that people are wanting to take out your kid. This is those opponents. This is those people that we need to stand watch and guard for. Then the next thing is social media, the threat of social media. Social media has changed the world. Great things on many aspects, but now preteens and teenagers and adults alone, we can have a 24-7 documentation of everything from the mundane to the extravagant and, and spectacular in our lives. One research company in UK says that Instagram is the most damaging social media network to young people. There's Snapchat, Facebook, other social media things, but and it for adults and for preteens and teenagers, it creates this sense of anxiety, this sense of inadequacy through through this comparison game that we play and, and not content with who we are, what we're experiencing, what we look like, and then there's the online bullying that comes with it. And so it's 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 man, this is such a such a big one of like, again, parents, this is not this like controlling, this guarding them while you're, they're in your house. Because here, young people aren't going to like them. I'm going to rat them out on this. But there's a thing called, what are they calling it? They're calling it Fitsta. is a fake Instagram account. So they'll make one that you know of and that you're aware of and that mom and dad check in on. But there's another fake one 
that they have a smaller amount of friends on and they're, they're being maybe exposed to different stuff, sharing different things. And some would say, some would argue and say, no, this is, this is good. This is, helps them to, to let down their persona and let them kind of uh, share things without their peers seeing who they really are and be more authentic. And others would say, no, it's supporting alter egos and the darker side of sharing things and getting validation for making poor choices. So, there's just some things that are out there. And so the social media is a tricky, evolving landscape that modern parents have to navigate. And it's constantly changing. So we have to stay in the know. So there's just a few things that are happening in our world. And we can, one side, feel like, oh my gosh, that's overwhelming. That's a lot of stuff that you just threw at me. And that's, that's the, my goodness, we can, feel, we can feel desperate and lost and needing, needing guidance and how to do this in the thing is, if you are desperate, desperation will seek you, will lead you to seek guidance. We have the Holy Spirit. We have scripture to lead us in guidance. We're going to pick up on this story, this kind of obscure story that we find in 2 Kings about someone looking for guidance in a desperate situation. This is uh, King Joasha is about to be destroyed by the surrounding armies. This is the time in Kings, Second Kings, when now after King David, there's been all these other different kings rising up, and some of them like go make terrible choices and worship the false gods around them. Then one will rise up and point them back and tear down the idols, and then another one will go back. And it's just this, this ongoing thing that we see through the nation of Israel. And this king is at this point is not following God's call, not following after Jesus, not following after the, the God of the Old Testament, who is our God also. But He's, he's not following after them, and he's, he's allowing all these other things to come about. And then there's this interaction that we're going to see between this new king and this old prophet. This old prophet whose life is coming to an end. Because all the previous kings, when they had gone to war, when war was on, their, on, their, on, on the way to them, when they were going to be attacked, they would go seek the prophet to get insight of what do we do right? How do we get this better? How do we correct this? What's the outcome going to be? And so he sees that this opportunity to meet with Elisha, the prophet, is closing. So here we are, Second Kings thirteen fourteen, When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jewisha, I practice saying this name, Jewasha of Israel, Israel visited and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. Earlier in this chapter, he talks about how they are down to 10 chariots and 50 charioteers in all of Israel. So he's saying, we don't have enough and there's armies coming. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. Wow, isn't that fitting for this series? Amazing. Get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open the eastern window. And he opened it. And he said, shoot. And he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. You will completely conquer the Armenians at Aphek. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was completely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only 
three times. A lot in this story, very like odd situation happening here. Going on is that, again, this king is new. He knows that, that threats are coming at every single side. That he has this pressure. And so his enemies are on every side. He's like, I got to go seek the man of God. I got to go talk to the prophet. And just as I just listed a few things that are facing us in our current culture, sometimes we can feel like the enemy is encroaching on every side. And it's coming at us at every side. What is that area of your life where the pressure you're facing right now or faced over the last several months just seems to be increasingly getting stronger and stronger? And if, if you had the opportunity to go seek the guidance of Elisha, like what would you go and talk to him about and say, I need some help in this area? So this king, the king goes to essentially the prophet who's on hospice on his deathbed to meet with him. He doesn't expect the prophet to come to him. He, the king, goes, I got to go find the prophet. I got to go sit with him. I got to go talk with him because he sees that for the last five decades, the kings have gone to console with Elisha. And he sees that this, he has a small window of opportunity because he hears he is dying. And he's like, I've got this small window of opportunity to get insight of what to do. And the same is true for us that are raising families, that are influencing this next generation, that are, that are our own lives in, in light of eternity, is that we only get a small window. We get a small window of opportunity to do what God has purposed for us to do, to bring glory to Jesus, to make Jesus known, to praise him, to choose what he has called us to do in this life. We get a small opportunity, a window of opportunity to have influence on the next generation and on our own eternity. Quote from a famous preacher named Leonard Ravenhill. He says, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of opportunity. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of opportunity. Essentially to say, opportunities have expiration dates. Things that are before you have expiration dates for you to move, to trust God, to move forward. And so that window is closing. For those that are parents in this room, that window is closing. Those that are grandparents, those that have influence, aunts, uncles, teachers, our influence of that window is closing. So we need to make the most of it. And, man, as I say that, I just want to stop for a moment because as true as that is, is that opportunities are closing. Some of us right away, again, can feel shame. We can feel like we don't measure up. We might feel like, I missed that opportunity. The kids might already be teenagers, grown adults, out of the house, and right away the enemy comes and wants to say, you missed that opportunity. You might have missed that opportunity to have trust, to have faith, to have courage, to do what God called you to do. And I just want to tell you right now that that is not of God. Because our God, he, listen, for you, that opportunity, you keep on looking back at that opportunity that you missed back there, and now you're missing the next one that's coming. Because you're too busy living with regret and mistakes of the past that you're not seeing the next one coming. So you need to lift your head off of that past opportunity and move forward. Because our God is a God of second chances, a God of third chances, a God of fourth chances, a God who has something better for tomorrow than he did today that you don't keep looking back. Listen, how, how many of you ever, yes, thank you. 
How many of you ever been in a car accident that the car was totaled? Like the car was totaled. Okay. If the car is totaled, what you do, the insurance company calls you. You get to go to the lot where they hauled that car to, and you can take your pictures and go, wow, look, I survived this. But what do they also let you do? They let you get inside the car if you can and remove any valuables that you had in that car. That car that was destroyed, that car that was part of an accident. And you go there and you remove the valuables out of that car and you take the valuables with you from that accident. I have never seen anybody go to the junkyard lot, take pictures, get the valuables out, and then try strapping and chaining that car wreck to them and try pulling that accident, that collision, that collateral damage with them to their, to their future, right? Have you ever seen anybody do that? Like, I want to take that bumper with me, and I want to carry that around with me for the rest of my life. No, God is saying, take the value, valuables from that experience you had and take those out and leave the wreckage behind. Leave the mistakes behind. Leave the accident behind, and don't haul it around with you anymore. Some of you guys need to hear that. Let it go. That's where freedom comes in that we're singing about. That's where this grace comes, that you don't have to hold on to that wreckage. Stop living trying to pull that mess around with you. Whether it was your fault or not, stop identifying with that mess and hauling it around. Next thing he says, take up your weapons. Elisha had the king pick up his weapons. He's got his, he's got his weapons there. He's got his bow and his arrow again. The king brought his bow and arrow to go meet with the prophet. And he says, you pick it up and you do this and you will defeat the Armenians in Aphek, which is modern day Syria, just to kind of help you get some reference in what part of the world we're talking about. What's so amazing about this scene is that the victory was, won, was, the victory was not won in the battlefield. The victory was won behind the scenes. The victory was not won on the battlefield. It was won behind the scenes. He said, take a bow, take an arrow. And he took them privately in the bedchamber of a dying prophet. And he shoots them out and he determines the victory quietly and privately before it goes publicly. What we do in our private lives, what we do in praying for our families and praying for our communities and praying for our churches and praying for our businesses and praying for those that we have influence in manifests itself from what we pray privately into what is seen by everyone else. Matthew, Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in the secret will reward you. When no one's watching, the enemy seems miles away. You know how many, we're not tempted when we're praying, right? It's like we're praying and like maybe we're tempted to stop praying and tempted to be quiet and like, and all that stuff. But like, we're not tempted by sin in those moments. No, it says, determine the outcome. This is where the weapons are engaged. Picks up the bow and says, shoot it. Elisha could have dismissed him as a crazy man, as a man that's dying. He's lost his mind. Why does he want me to shoot an arrow out a window? But he does what he instructs him to do. So, and for us, so our arrows, we're told, are the words of authority that are spoken in prayer. Your words 
have authority in the spirit realm. Your arrows are go forth when you pray the word of God, when you're led by the Holy Spirit to say this. That, that word right there, then John goes on and says this. John 1.12 says this. But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That word right there is also can be translated authority. Those who have authority. So you have authority to take these arrows, these words, and pray them out. And they make change and they make a difference. You have weapons that the Holy Spirit has given you as a believer in Christ to do the battle before you head into the battlefield. This is why you get together and you pray the truth. You pray the word of God. If you don't know what to pray, I would suggest open up the epistles that are written by the apostle Paul, a lot of them, and just pray some of that stuff that he's saying, that I, I, am, I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Start praying those things and then start, start praising God for the victory. Start praising him for who he is. That's why praise is so important. It says, put on, if you have a spirit of heaviness, Put on the garments of praise. Put some praise music on in your house. If you feel like weighed down, put some praise music on. Lift your eyes, lift your mind to a different place. Proclaim and declare the blood of Jesus over your life. I am forgiven. I am washed. I am cleansed. I am made righteous because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And then go on and yes, yes, amen. He goes, get the word of your testimony. Revelation tells us that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Remind ourselves, remind the enemy where God has taken us from and how far we're moving forward. Remind him that, hey, I was a mess. I was destroyed. I was back here. I had all these issues. I'm getting free and I'm getting freer every single day. We declare these words and they go out like arrows into the battlefield before you even face that battle. The Holy Spirit calls us to believe God for things that are invisible. We call them into the natural. Hebrews, the, the, the Hebrews 11, known for faith, right? Now faith is confidence and what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, they understood that the universe was formed at God's command so that, so that what is seen is not made out of what is visible. God calls us to believe in things that are not seen. Your situation doesn't seem hopeful. Your situation doesn't seem like it's possible. It seems like it's so d d just brought down. He says, no, you, we shoot these, uh, the, shooting your, these arrows, the king could feel foolish, shooting an arrow into thin air. And that's how we feel sometimes we're praying. Are we doing anything? Are we making any difference? We're just, just shooting these arrows off. I'm telling you, it is making a difference. But remember, he says to open the window. He says, open the window shoot it out. As long as we, we got we to gotta open up that window and see a better place, a better vision, a better direction that we're going at. Because when we're inside a room and we're just looking and focused on the defeat that we have, and we're just looking and staring at the walls, we're not going to get a vision for what we're praying forth. Ephesians 1.18 says this, I pray, we sing the song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Do we know what that means? Open the eyes of my heart of how big, how great you are and what you want to do. This, Ephesians 1.18 I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He wants to open our hearts and to see something different. Listen, if you've never 
Find the window of opportunity. If you're never getting a greater vision for something outside, you'll just be staring at your walls of weakness for the rest of your life. So you need to open that window and start proclaiming those things. Now, you have to see it before you see it, is what we see in this story. You have to see it before you see it. You open your window to God's promise. So he says, when you shot that arrow, it was an arrow of victory. You haven't even fought the battle yet, but it's going to be won because of this. Is that right? As we just read, faith is the confidence of things we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Open the eyes of my heart. Don't miss what I'm preaching here because this has been misused and abused and taught wrong in other areas. This concept, and I want us to get clarity about this, that there is an important principle here about praying forth the vision that God has in your heart and the purposes. That we got to have a, a future that's triumphant and we'll be victorious. We got to have a vision of what we're praying towards, of what we're going towards, of what that battle is that ahead of us. And we're going to start seeing the victory before it even comes. You got to start, you got to close your eyes. You got to get a picture and say, I see myself loving my spouse when they're not loving me back. I see myself being a patient father, a patient mother. I see myself caring for others, serving others, preferring others over myself. I see myself doing what God has called me to do. I see myself being a person of influence. I see myself having influence on the job site so I can bring about the focus of Jesus. You got to have this vision that you're praying for it of God, help me put the fruits of the spirit inside of me so I can do this. Got to raise our vision. Second thing that we see in this interesting story is the king came for comfort. Instead, he got a challenge. Some of us come to church for some comfort. I need some comfort and then you, Damien, you challenged me. I came for comfort, but you challenged me. The, Elisha could have, even maybe on his dying bed, he could, have, he could have done those things he asked the king to do. Maybe he had enough strength to, shoot, to pick up the bow, pick up the arrow, open the window, and shoot it out. But he told the king to do it. He told him to do it. And that's what I feel like some of you guys, God's saying, he wants you to step up and do it. As your pastor, I love to pray for you. Prayer team loves to pray for you. People that are in your community group, your Bible study, love to pray for you. But I'm going to say, are you praying for you? Are you praying for your situation? Are you depending on that person that you think is more spiritual than you, more holy than you, better than you, or you believe in yourself to pray for you? Don't, don't miss me. We love your prayer request. We want to pray with you. But I want you to pray for yourself too. Because when we get that vision and we're praying, we're praying honest prayers and we're praying honest to God, right? All right. So it's your responsibility it's your responsibility. And as we do this, man, when we come in and we pray this way, listen, we pray. We don't pray for victory. We pray from victory, right? We don't pray for the victory. We pray from it. We've already gained it because of what Jesus has done. We, man, we don't have to go, God, if you're going to help me through this, God, if we're going to be able to do this, God, if I'm, I'm going to be, God, would you help me to be, overcome this temptation? I said, no, God, I am overcome. By this, we overcome. We have overcome because Jesus has overcome it all and he has done it on our behalf. So we, every single day, we face a battle. Every single day you face a battle, but guess what? The war has already been won. The war has already been won in Jesus and we're waiting for it to come into fruition. But every day you got to get up and fight a battle. And he wants you to say, hey, shoot your arrows. Pray them into existence. Get the victory before it even happens. 
Next one. Strike the ground until victory is obtained. Strike the ground until victory is obtained. Now, this is this interesting story because he says, shoot the arrow. There's your arrow of victory. Hey, you're going to be successful. And then he says, I got one other thing for you to do. Take the rest of those arrows you got in your hand. Put your bow down. And he says, take those arrows you have. And he tells them to strike the ground. Okay, I could see one thing, a prophetic of like, okay, I'm going to shoot the arrows out. Strike the ground? Damien, you said arrows are our children. We're going to strike the ground with them. Awesome. All right. um, (laughs) But he tells him to strike the ground. Strike the ground. And he's like, okay, this start striking the ground. And the the king's like, okay, getting victory. Striking the ground. And he does it three times and stops. He does it three times and stops. When, when When do you stop striking? Because you're told to, he said, pick up your bow. Pick up your arrow. That has a beginning and an end. I've done it. Open the window. Okay, done that. Shoot. Okay, those are all things you do and complete. How many times are you supposed to strike? How many times are you supposed to strike the ground? And the prophet gets angry at him and says, man, if you would have gone more, if you would have kept going, you would have had greater victory. Now you're just going to win a few times, but you're not going to completely demonize them because you stopped striking the ground did not continue striking the ground. And that is our challenge. You came for comfort, but God's calling you to a challenge today of like, hey, keep on striking the ground. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Keep doing it. Keep being faithful. Keep showing up. Keep making it happen. You got to do faithful, faithfully praying the words of God, faithfully seeking his face, faithfully raising your parent, your parent, your kids, you know, faithfully checking in on their internet usage, faithfully checking their social media stuff, faithfully checking who they're having in their lives, faithfully seeing what music, what movies you're allowing in your house, faithfully seeking God on your behalf, faithful, faithful. Everybody stand up. Come on. We got to be faithful. And when we get tired of being faithful, guess what God says? Faithful. And when I get tired of being faithful, faithful, we got to be faithful and 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 faithful. Come on, join me. And faithful and faithful and faithful. And when you're tired of being faithful, he's going to say, I'm going to give you new strength to be faithful. I'm going to give you new courage to be faithful. I'm going to give you new ability to be faithful because you were called to be faithful even when you're tired, even when you're exhausted. He says, faithful is what gets it done. Jeff, being faithful in your AA meetings, being faithful and getting clear. You're being faithful. You're showing up. You're showing up. You're making it happen. Being faithful. Being faithful, Marco, and leading your family and setting the example. Being faithful, Todd, and showing up to the men's group and pouring your life out when no one else shows up. You're saying, I'm going. I'm faithful. I'm showing up. I'm caring for these people. I'm being faithful and faithful. And I'm going to watch my kids. I'm going to set the example. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep on striking that ground until the enemy is defeated. We don't give up. We don't quit. We're not going to stop striking until it is won, until it is done, until it is finished, until Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you were faithful. And now this is no pressure on you to, oh my gosh, I got to stir this up. I got to find, no, you lean into Jesus and he will give you that faithfulness. He will give you that ability to do more than you ever imagined you could do. So Lord Jesus, we just pray to you right now, Lord. 
We say, Lord, let faith arise in this place, Lord. Let us have new faith like we've never had before to keep striking the ground, to keep, Lord, when we've messed up, when, when the enemy wants to bring up that old wreckage, that totaled car, that damage from the past, and wants us to haul it around. We said, no, we're taking the valuables out of that. And what we learned, is we're moving forward. We're no longer holding on to that wreckage and that collision and that collateral damage from the past. We are moving forward with new faithfulness. Lord, and when we get tired, when we get exhausted, when we get so exhausted of teaching the next kid and the next kid of what's right and what's wrong and the directions to go. And we're living in this new world. We're facing new, new things and new enemies and new danger around every corner. Lord, we're going to be faithful in shooting our arrows towards eternity. Lord, help us to be people that are faithful. Even when we're tired, even when we're exhausted, the Holy Spirit gives us new strength and hope to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the River City Church podcast. We'd love to hear how God is using River City Church to minister and impact lives. If you have a story to share of how God is moving in your life, send an email to amen at therivercitychurch.org. If you'd like to support our mission financially so we can continue to share messages just like these, you can give online at therivercitychurch.org slash give.